Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. A person without a relationship with Jesus Christ can have God-given talents, gifts, and abilities. But only a person in a relationship with Jesus Christ can possess a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a phrase you've probably heard before. Maybe you've even taken some sort of spiritual gift survey before. But exactly what are spiritual gifts? And who and what are they for? It is an instantaneous enablement by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to do or say something beyond one's natural ability in order to fulfill a specific purpose of God in the time frame in which God permits. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in a series entitled Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. It's a study through the Apostle Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. And today we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes about spiritual gifts. The church in Corinth had apparently become obsessed with one particular spiritual gift. That's what became the issue in Corinth. It became about their spiritual gifts. It became all about their spiritual gifts. Who had what? Whose was better than what? And and why that everybody needed this or that or, or whatever. And as you'll hear Pastor Clay say today, understanding the connection between chapters 12, 13, and 14 is the key to rightly understanding God's purposes for spiritual gifts. Here's Pastor Clay with today's message. I My dad passed away on Father's Day in uh, 2001, 2000. Uh, but uh, my dad, I grew up on a dairy farm, and my dad was hard working, and so, you know, he, he, was just, he was just always busy, he was always going somewhere, doing something, doing something with the cows, or fixing fence, or d- doing something. So, uh, one day, I was out in the, the part where, you know, dairy farm where we live, where there were some trees, and that sort of thing, and in the trees, I had uh, built a, um, I'll put this in in quotes, somebody is getting a lot of messages all of a sudden. I don't know, y'all might better check that. It might be important. <laughs> um, I'll put this in quotes. Uh, I had built a tree house um, out of just old wood and lumber and stuff that I could find laying around the dairy barn and that kind of stuff, around the farm and that kind of stuff. Now, granted, I'm six, seven, eight years old, so you have to use your imagination what it must have looked like. But... Uh, quite honestly, uh, one of the things I remember is that some of the boards were were pretty old and dilapidated and all that stuff, but that's what I could find. And so I had built some sort of, you know, rudimentary kind of of thing. And one day I was out there and my dad, I don't know, he just just shows up, you know, he just drives up in the the truck, drives up in his truck and he, he, my dad was a man of few words, he just didn't say a whole lot. And uh, this is the way he often did things. He, he get, gets out of the truck, he, he looks up at my treehouse, and he says, come on. So I get in the truck, uh, we go down to the lumber yard, my dad buys all this bount- amount of lumber and pulleys and ropes and, and all this kind of stuff, and we come back home and go out into the woods, and my dad searches around and finds you know, what would be the quintessential tree for a treehouse, and he begins to build me a treehouse. Um, the likes of which have probably rarely been seen. This is like the Taj Mahal of 
tree houses. I, I, I kid you not. It, it, it's, it's, it's been 50 plus years probably since then. But if that tree is still standing, that tree house is probably still uh, in there. I mean, it was awesome. It had doors. It had windows. It had a front porch that you'd go out on. It had a pulley system that you could pull, sit down and pull yourself up on. Or you could use the ladder. You could pull stuff. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I remember that. Uh, because that was one of the gifts that my father gave to me, and it was, and I don't know if I understood it or appreciated it as much then as perhaps I do now, but I understand, I think more now, that it was more the gift of him giving himself in that time that was so precious to him because he worked so hard. It was the gift of him giving that time to me in the construction of that uh, tree house, that tree mansion, that made such a difference uh, for me, or so much that I appreciate it. I don't know if you have, have uh, reflections or memories or thoughts of, of certain gifts that people have given to you that have Im- impacted or meant a lot to you. When we were in seminary, I, uh, I worked part-time managing the mailroom, and Cindy worked full-time for the dean of students' office, and uh, we lived in seminary housing, and uh, you know, it, was just, it was just a tight time in our, in our lives. And somehow, during the course of the months leading up to my uh, birthday, Cindy saved enough money to buy me a, a brand new set of uh, Callaway Big Bertha irons. They're like bricks today. I mean, you could, uh, but but I mean, they were they were like the bomb in in the mid '90s. They they were unbelievable, and I I, I still don't know how she uh, managed to come up with that much money to to buy them. But but it it meant a lot to me that she would would do that out of just. If you thought, you probably could think of some, some gifts that have had a, a significant impact or something you really appreciate. Y'all gave me this super nice watch. I appreciate it. Gifts. Gifts. That's, it. That's what we're going to begin to talk about here today. We're going to begin to talk about uh, gifts. Now, in a minute, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but uh, we're talking about gifts, and we're particularly talking about the gifts that God gives as we move forward in this series where we're making our way through the book of first and then if Jesus tarries and allows, uh, then 2 Corinthians as well. But we've been making our way through 1 Corinthians in this series entitled Crossroads. And I've kind of subtitled it, Where Our Faith Intersects Our Culture. Th- that's what this is about. How, how, does, how does what I say I believe, how does it impact, affect the way I live in my culture, the way I interact with my culture, my impact or influence on the culture, where, where, my, where my faith and, and, my, and my culture intersect? And that really was going on at Corinth. And, and, and we've talked about all that and we've walked through all that. Well now, as you're going to see in a moment, we're moving into a, a different section where uh, the idea of gifts, and I'll go ahead and say this to you specifically, spiritual gifts becomes a, uh, a central subject matter to be discussed. Okay? So I want to read it to you. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you this morning uh, so that you can get the whole context of it. And then we're going to share a division statement, and then get into some ideas and, and, and all that. Let me say this to you. If, if you're the kind of person that says, man, I don't, I, okay, I'm just here, I'm at church, or, or if you can just tell me something that'll help me get along better with my girlfriend, okay, that's great, whatever, um, that's fine. But if you're a person who, who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, if you're a person uh, who desires, you know, I want to know the things of God, I want to go deeper in this relationship with God, then what's going to be discussed over the next few weeks uh, I, I pray you will find very profitable uh, to you and hopefully, uh, in some sense, enlightening. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
1 through verse 31 this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, please open it. The text will be on the screen uh, as well as it is uh, each week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you guys ready? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable... On these we bestow more abundant honor, and our, our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church 
first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Father God, today, as we begin to dive into this uh, chapter, as we're making our way through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, uh, I pray that there's been much that's been profitable for us along the way, uh, but today moves into a, a section that uh, for those who, who desire to, to truly uh, accomplish your purposes in this world, to, to be used by you, to be who you would call us to be, then understanding this idea of gifts, spiritual gifts, and what it means and what it doesn't mean becomes vitally important. I pray that each man, woman, boy and girl in this place would open their heart, their mind, their spirit to what you would say uh, through your word and through your messenger boy today, accomplish your purposes as we take a few moments to just begin to delve into the depths of, of what the Apostle Paul had to say to the church in Corinth and what he still has to say to us today because it is your word and it's quick and alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says. So teach us, Father God, uh, through this process today. We're honored to be here. Singing to you is, is a joy that, uh, that, we, that we appreciate. Opening your word is, is a precious thing that many places in the world do not have the luxury of being able to do or not freely. So may we take advantage of this opportunity and may the kingdom of God be better for it and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for um, allowing me to take the time to read that entire uh, chapter because uh, I, I think it helps to kind of set at least an overall idea that we're then going to begin to, to, to break apart or take apart or break down and see what the application is for itself. I want to give you a, an overarching uh, idea, division statement, and uh, it's going to may sound odd to you based on what I just said, but it, it is this. This isn't about your spiritual gift, but about his spiritual body. Now, as I said, that, that may sound like, and I may sound like I'm contradicting myself by saying that statement, having just introduced it by talking about the fact that and having read it in chapter 12, that chapter 12 clearly uh, has a great deal to say about spiritual gifts, uh, an, an itemized listing of some of them, and, and that sort of thing clearly has, has a lot to say about gifts. But that's not, that's not the primary purpose of the, of the text. That there, there's, there's, there's something that's going on here that Paul is going to try and become clear. In fact, uh, chapters 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 actually really need to be taken as a whole, understood as a whole, to really get a full contextual proper interpretation of the text. That's really key uh, if you don't know that. 12, 13, and 14 are really intricately connected, and, and to understand really any of them, you need to understand in the, in the context of 12, 13, and 14 
together as we make our way into this, uh, especially when we get to chapter 14, but it's going to become clear that there was, a, there was an issue in Corinth that, uh, that pertained to their understanding or their practice of spiritual gifts. And I'll go ahead and say this, uh, specifically or uh, particularly the spiritual gift of tongues. What that was, what their understanding of it was, and we will get into all that as we make our way through it, especially in chapter uh, 14. Now, we've come to expect issues in Corinth, right? We've come to expect problems. If you've been through this series as we've walked through here, you've seen that, they, that they've had problems in this area, in that area, in this area. So it probably shouldn't surprise us that even when we begin to talk about the idea of spiritual gifts, uh, that there would be a problem in Corinth. But again, I'm going to say this. Uh, when, we, when we look at 12 and 13 and 14 together, I think some of it will begin, hopefully, will begin to come clear uh, to us. Now, if you, if you uh, notice on the text that, that as we look at it, when he, he opens in verse 1, and he says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Uh, you may notice uh, on the screen, or if you have a copy of God's Word with you, a hard copy or an electronic copy, you may notice that the word gifts is in italics. Now, we have talked about this before, but anytime you see a word in italics in the Bible, it means that that word was not in the original manuscripts or in the handwritten copies that came after it as, as, as the Word of God was transmitted through handwritten copies initially. That the word gifts, in this case, the word gifts in italics, now the word gifts is going to show up in, in, on through chapter 12. We saw that as I just read it. But in this case, in verse 1, the word gifts actually is not in the original manuscripts, that it's inserted, that the translators inserted it later for... Uh, to help in translation, to help make it easier to understand what is being discussed. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing that that's done. And in most cases, it is helpful. When they're translating, it's particularly into English. You know, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. But uh, when they translate it into, into English, they insert the word gifts to help us understand the context of what's going on. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but... In this case, this is, just, this is just my observation. In this case, I am in agreement with the Greek New Testament scholar Spiros Zodiades who says that the word gifts in verse 1 should not be there. Even though gifts is clearly discussed throughout chapter 12. Y'all with me? All excited about that? Yeah, yeah no you're not. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, it's my conviction I agree with Spiro Zodiades that, that gifts should not be in verse 1. And, and here's why that matters. It's because there's a transition taking place from chapter 11 into chapter 12. If you were here last week in chapter 11, you remember that, that the focus was, was on the physical. The focus was on the, the physical act of the Lord's Supper, the physical uh, or carnal practices that the Corinthians were bringing onto holy ground, bringing to the Lord's Supper, the things that were going on, and the physical consequences that God was bringing on them as a result of the sin that they were bringing onto holy ground. And we talked about all that last week. If you were here, if you weren't here, you can go back and find that message online and listen to it there. But it was all about the physical. Now, Paul is transitioning, he's changing, and he's going in a, in a spiritual direction. It would literally translate now, concerning spiritual. In other words, concern, concerning spiritual matters, concerning spiritual things. Yes, 
spiritual gifts, that's going to be talked about extensively. But more than that, more than just the gifts. And I want you to understand that because, again, that's what became the issue in Corinth. It became about their spiritual gifts. It became all about their spiritual gifts. Who had what? Whose was better than what? And, and why everybody needed this or that or, or whatever. Okay? So, having said that, as I said, it may sound uncontradictory to myself, but it, this, the chapter is about spiritual gifts, but it's not about your gifts. It's about the body. And hopefully you even picked up on that even as we read it. Now, let's kind of uh, pull some things apart so that you can understand this hopefully more clearly and it'll make sense. I hope. First, the word gifts, when you see it there in, in chapter 12, the Greek word is charismata. It comes from the Greek word charis, meaning grace, with the suffix uh, mata is the plural form, charismata, uh, gifts. Uh, it, uh, the word gra- uh, charis, gifts, and the suffix ma, charisma. When the suffix ma is added to a word, it's pointing back to that word as the cause. So, in other words, uh, that this, this gift is a, a result of grace. Or, in other words, these are grace gifts. These are grace gifts. They are, they are grace gifts given by God as a result of His Spirit operating in people's lives. Okay, so, having said that then... Uh, perhaps uh, a good kind of working definition of spiritual gifts because people that are interested in this stuff say, well, what, you know, what are spiritual gifts? What are they? Who has them? What different kinds are they? Maybe a working definition could look like this, according to Zodiades. An instantaneous enablement by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to do or say something beyond one's natural ability in order to fulfill a specific purpose of God in the time frame in which God permits it. Uh, I, I've read lots of different definitions. I've come up with some definitions of my own. That's as good a definition, as I understand it, that's as good a definition as I think there can be, working definition of what, what is a spiritual gift. It is an instantaneous enablement by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to do or say something beyond one's natural ability in order to fulfill a specific purpose of God in the time frame in which God permits, okay? Now, there are a couple of things based on that definition that then we probably need to discuss. The first one is this. These gifts are spiritual and should not be confused with natural gifts. In other words, uh, we, uh, we all have sometimes have said something to the effect of, wow, that man, that, that person really has a God-given a talent for, for dancing. Man, that, that person really has a God-given gift to, to sing. Or, or man, that, 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 that person has a, has, a, has a natural just a, affinity for, for numbers or for mathematics. Or, right? We, we've all said that kind of thing. Uh, we've said that somebody has a, a, a God-given ability at athletics or whatever all it might be. Those, in fact, are, I believe... Gifts, talents, abilities that do come from God. But they are not the same as spiritual gifts. In other words, a person without a relationship with Jesus Christ can have God-given talents, God-given abilities, right? 
A person doesn't have to really have a relationship with Jesus to, to be a great singer or a great athlete or a, a, a great uh, natural person does great with mathematics and all that. A, a person without a relationship with Jesus Christ can have God-given talents, gifts, and abilities. But only a person in a relationship with Jesus Christ, based on the definition that we just saw and based on what Scripture clearly teaches, only a person with a relationship with Jesus Christ can possess a spiritual gift, a spiritual God-given uh, ability or gift that, that is apart from, okay? So make sure you, you have to understand. It's not the same. Spiritual gift is not the same as a natural gift, talent, or ability, okay? The second one, and this may sound a little, a little uh, strange to some of you, but hang with me. These gifts may or may not be permanent gifts. These gifts may or may not be permanent, based on the definition that we read just a moment ago. Let me explain what I mean. Now, it may depend on the gift, okay? And we're going to get into some of those. It may depend on the gift, but I think there's clear biblical evidence for the for the the statement that I just made, that the gifts may or may not be permanent. For example, in Acts chapter 28, the Apostle Paul, uh, the text says, he prays and he lays his hands on a man that was sick, the father of a guy named Publius. The text says, when Paul prayed and laid his hands on this text specifically says Paul healed him. Now, we, we know, we understand that God ultimately is the one that, that healed him, but the, the point is, in that case, clearly Paul was the instrument used by God to bring a gift of healing to Publius's dad. Clearly, Paul at, had the gift of, gifts of healing at that moment. Would you agree if you read, read Acts 28? But in 2 Timothy 4, Paul leaves Trophimus sick in Miletus. Leaves him there, sick. Why didn't, he, why didn't Paul just heal him if he has the gift of healing? In 1 Timothy 3, Paul recommends or suggests medicinal, medicinal or natural uh, uh, practice to, uh, uh, to bring in uh, a healing or some type of comfort uh, for the physical ailment of intestinal stomach issues that Timothy had. He recommends medicinal treatment. Why doesn't Paul just heal him if he has the gift of healing, which he clearly has in Acts 28? You understand what I'm saying? In, Second Timothy, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 25 through 27, somewhere right in there, Paul is, you can, you can hear, he is, he, is, he is despondent over the fact that there is nothing he can do for Epaphroditus who is close to death. Why doesn't Paul just heal him if he has the gift of healing? You understand the question that I'm asking? Either the Apostle Paul chose not to heal, not to exercise his gift of healing in, that particular, in those particular situations, and that seems impossible given Paul's concern and love for the people mentioned. Either, either he chose not to use his gift of healing, or it is God who determines when and where and how and who he would bring the gifts of healing through. It is, in fact, by the way, exactly what the text says. Uh, healings, miracles, tongues, all of those are always given in the plural 
form. In other words, it's not, it's not a gift of healing. It is gifts of healing that God brings, and he uses certain individuals in certain situations to bring gifts of healings determined by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. That's a lot, but I just want you to understand that that's a possibility that the gifts uh, are not permanent or that, or that they're not existing or, or at the use of the person just whenever they just decide that they can use these gifts of healing, that it's God at work in, in this. All right, so here, for us, basically, here's what this comes down to. Here's what this means. It means that every person who has committed his or her life to Jesus Christ by faith, and only you in this room in this moment or, or those that would be listening or watching this message know whether you have personally committed your life to Jesus Christ. But any person, every person who has committed his or her life to Jesus Christ by faith has the grace gift of God operating in them. It, it is the, the grace gift of God operating in you, and therefore that person has the potential for one or more of these grace gifts to be employed in and through them as God determines. That's basically uh, the, way I, the way I would phrase it. Okay, so any person that has a relationship with Jesus Christ has the grace of God in you. The grace of God in you means that, that, that God has the ability to use you as he sees fit to, to, to employ these grace gifts for particular situations or, or whatever the case may be. Okay, now we need to look, I know we need to take a, a moment to look at some of the words uh, that are listed here, some of the gifts that are listed here. Y'all with me? Some of the gifts that are listed here. And I say, hey, what, what are these gifts? What are, do I have these gifts? Can I do that? You know, I, can I bring healing? Can I do miracles? Can I do this kind of stuff? What are these, these gifts? These, this is not, by the way, uh, an exhaustive list. You'll also find a list in Romans chapter 12. You'll find a list in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, when you take all the lists, by the way, and kind of compile them, there's some overlap. Uh, on, on the listings in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's some overlap. But when you, when, when you take them all together and when you add in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul mentions what I believe is a spiritual gift of, of singleness or celibacy. You may remember we talked about that back in 1 Corinthians 7. When you add that one in, uh, you end up with, according to Paige Patterson's commentary on this, you end up with a total of 21 uh, distinct or different spiritual gifts. That are, uh, that are listed in the Bible, just in case you wanted to know that. All right, but let's, let's focus on the list that Paul gives here in 1 Corinthians 12, because everybody wants to know, do I have some of these gifts? All right, let's start with this one. He starts with the word of wisdom. I'm just going to kind of just break these down and walk with them through it as, 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 as I understand. The word of wisdom. And remember, we're talking about spiritual gifts. So what that means is the word of wisdom is not wisdom that simply comes from experience. That's a form of wisdom. Whether in business or in practice or in marriage or, or whatever it's experience it comes, parenting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's not just wisdom that would come from experience. It's not even wisdom that would come from being a student of God's Word and gaining wisdom in, in that way. Certainly, we need to do that. But it is more than that. It is a supernatural, because that's what, what spiritual gifts are. It is a supernatural endowment uh, or, uh, or ability to discern or have wisdom in a particular situation or a, a particular circumstance or something that is going on, to be given the gift of wisdom. I can't say this for sure, but I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, I wonder if maybe 1 Kings 3 might be an example of word of wisdom. 1 Kings 3 uh, is the story of where uh, two 
uh, women, two uh, prostitutes actually, who both become pregnant, both give birth the same night. Uh, it's just them in the house. One of them's child dies in, in childbirth. Uh, the other one lives, and both of the women claim the, li- the child that is alive. And they both come before Solomon, and, and they both say, it's my child, no, it's my child, it's my child, no, it's my child, and nobody else saw it, nobody else was there. That might be an example, Solomon's response might be an example in 1 Kings 3 of, of a word of wisdom, okay? Second one he mentions is word of of knowledge. Now the fact that he lists them separately must mean that there must be some distinction between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, even though they sound like they should be or could be similar. But he says the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge would be a supernatural uh, acquirement of some information or some knowledge that the, the person who, who has that knowledge would not naturally no, you understand what I'm saying? It would not, would not naturally come by. That somehow a supernatural uh, discernment or information is given to them from God for a particular situation, a particular circumstance. Uh, the, the, the quickest one I can think of is Acts chapter 5, where Peter knows, he knows that Ananias has lied about the amount of money that he sold the property for. You remember that story in Ananias chapter 5, or Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira, I think I just mentioned them last week or week before last. Peter knows. The text doesn't tell us how Peter knows. Peter knows that Ananias has lied. Now, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't believe that Peter had like a guy on the inside down at the courthouse at the, at the registrar's office, you know, with the, hey, Peter, that deed was recorded. Ananias didn't sell that property for that much. He sold it for this much. I don't, come on. God supernaturally gave knowledge to Peter to know that Ananias was lying. And that's, that, that would be a, a word of knowledge. Third, he lists faith. Now, faith, right? I mean, well, don't I have faith? We all have faith, right? We better, we better all have faith, right? Right? Come on. We, we better all have faith. Faith is required for salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. In fact, without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. So, uh, so every person who is in a relationship with Jesus Christ must have some element of faith. But the fact that it's listed as a spiritual gift must also mean that what, what Paul is talking about is a supernatural endowment of faith that would be beyond what would be capable of from a, a normal person, in, in a normal circumstance. Do you, know, you know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? In Acts chapter 16, for instance, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are sitting in a prison cell, in the, in, they're sitting in a dungeon, praying and singing praises, singing praise hymns, the text says, singing praise hymns to God after being severely beaten with rods by a mob. I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I just don't believe Something like that is possible without some sort of supernatural endowment of faith that would make it possible for you. In that moment of misery and, and what in the world is going on and why has God abandoned us? And I mean, that, that's the thoughts that would be running in my head. If you read historical accounts down through history of, of Christian martyrs, men and women who have been tortured and or murdered for their faith, you can read some, of, some accounts of their response and how they handled those particular situations in such a way that I... I just, I guarantee it would be impossible without some type of supernatural endowment of faith in that moment. 
when you read about some of what they went through and how they respond to that, when you read about people uh, uh, smiling and praising God and, and reaching down and, and acting like they're splashing water on themselves as, as fire is rising up on their bodies as they've been, as, as they've been tied and burned at the, burnt, being burned at the stake. When you, when you read story, on and on, just so many stories and accounts. I think it's a supernatural endowment of, of faith in a particular moment for a particular situation. Next, Paul lists, lists gifts of healing. Now, I've already kind of covered this when I talked about the fact that gifts may or may not be permanent, but in any event, the gifts of healing. Again, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is an ability, a supernatural ability to be used by God in a particular situation to bring uh, uh, healing uh, in, a, in a given situation or a particular uh, person. It, it is, again, it's in the, it's in the plural form. It's gifts of healings, which means there is no, as I understand Scripture, as I say Scripture, and, and, and I, I'm sure I have some, some charismatic or Pentecostal brothers that might argue with me about this, but there is no gift of healing that I can, I can just go and heal anybody I want, anytime I want. That's not the picture in Scripture, and, 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 it's, and it's not the picture we see around us. You can, I'm just telling you, uh, that's not what the text says. There may, be some, there may be some TV charlatans who claim something different, and you can, you can buy their anointed prayer cloth if you want. You can order their, their healing water if you want, but I'm telling you, nobody has the gift of healing that they can just say the word and every person's healed. If they, if they can, they better go straight down to every hospital they can and, and heal every sickness and every disease that they come across because if they don't and they have the ability to do so, that may make them worse than the diseases themselves. It is the, the ability to bring healings as God sees fit. Uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John uh, cause a lame man to be able to walk. That would be an example of gifts of healing. They didn't, they didn't do that everywhere they went. But in that particular case, God gave the, this, this gifts of healing. Okay, and then we come to affecting of miracles. It's kind of a, a funny way to uh, put it. Affecting, in Greek, the Greek word is energimata. It's, it's not even hard to hear our English word energy in that, is it? You, you see it right, right in there. It's, we get our English word energy straight from that, the affecting of the, the energy uh, that, that accomplishes it. The word miracles is uh, dunameon, from the same root from which we get the word dynamite. Literally, works of power it is the affecting of miracles. It is, it is the uh, ability to supernaturally suspend natural laws. Well, nobody has... Best I know, nobody has the gift of miracles. They can just go around and suspend the law, natural laws anytime they, they, they choose to or want to or think that it would be good. No, God in His sovereignty determines when and where the, the, the gifts of miracles would be given. Uh, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus and Peter walking on water would require a suspension of the natural law of Gravity, y'all. Yes, yeah, science, one on one. Gravity, right? Taking two fish and five loaves of bread and making enough to feed thousands of people surely must suspend some natural law. The creation of matter or something. 
You, you understand what, I, what I'm saying? It's the suspension of a natural law in order to, to accomplish or fulfill something that God would design or, or has designed or desire uh, to do. Uh, Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 28, is bitten by a deadly snake, and he doesn't die. There had to be the suspension of some natural law, because when you get bit by a deadly snake, you're supposed to die. That's how that works. So it's the affecting of plural of miracles. It's, it's, it's it, affecting, by the way, energimata uh, is also in the plural form. It's, it, it's, it's God choosing as he, as he knows his best to do these things. Okay? And then one more. What time is it? Okay, one more uh, that we'll get to today. We'll stop on this one. Prophecy. Paul mentions prophecy next in his list here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, prophecy can have two different meanings. Prophecy can mean to foretell, right? To, to tell the future, to see, to see and pronounce something that hasn't happened yet, but to be able to foretell when it, when it happens, okay? Lots of Old Testament prophets, Isaiah uh, foretelling the coming of, of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, uh, on and on, right? The, the, to foretell, but prophecy can also mean to forthtell. To forthtell, which would simply mean to, to, to proclaim, to make a proclamation. Right? Whether it's a preacher standing up here or whether it's you at school talking with, with another student at the cafeteria about your relationship with Jesus or at the workplace or wherever it might be. You're forthtelling. You're, you're sharing a message that has already been revealed. You understand? It can be either one of them and either one of them can be a supernatural act. Now, the foretelling, that's pretty easy, right? You know, if you, a guy said this was going to happen on Tuesday at 12.22, and at 12.22 on Tuesday, that exact thing happened. Uh, you, you'd consider that kind of, that's got to be supernatural. But foretelling can also be supernatural. On July 8th, 1741, I'm sure you're all keenly aware that tomorrow, July 8th, is the 278th anniversary of this event. On July 8th, 1741, in Enfield, Connecticut, a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So you heard, that, heard of that sermon? I've, I've talked about that sermon before. July 8th, 1741, Enfield, Connecticut, Edwards preaches a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, from all historical accounts, accounts, Edwards was so uh, nearsighted that he had to hold his sermon manuscript up to his face, so close to his face that people could not even see him when he preached, couldn't see his face because he read his sermons. He would read them straight from the manuscript, so close that people couldn't even see his face, and from what I understand, he read in a very dry, in a very monotone fashion. In fact... Edwards was much more of a theologian and scholar than he was a fire and brimstone preacher. But on July 8, 1741, Edwards delivered sinners in the hands of an angry God. And as the sermon started out, it was in the normal fashion with Edwards with his, with his paper right to his face, reading the sermon in a very dry and monotone fashion. But during the course of the message, something supernatural began to happen. Out in, the, out in the congregation gathered there, you, you began to just softly at first, you began to hear just some, some soft whimpering and it began to get louder before eventually becoming open wailing before eventually coming out to to people literally yelling out crying out for for uh, pastor edward stop 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 the sermon 
because uh, they were begging him to stop because of the sheer weight of, of guilt and conviction of sin that they had on their lives at that particular moment. Some people in attendance later claimed that they could literally feel their boot heels burning as Edwards preached about people without a relationship with Jesus Christ hanging over the abyss of hell. That one sermon sparked what historians have come to know as the first great evangelical awakening in America, which ushered in a revival that not only saw hundreds of thousands of people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but many historians agreed that it also planted the seeds for what came to be the American Revolution about 25 years later, that it was that sermon that started the awakening, that planted the seeds to the, to the American Revolution, that brought about a nation which has now carried the gospel to all corners of the world. I think you would call that a gift of prophecy, a supernatural ability beyond what would be your normal abilities or anything else to to deliver a message in such a way that the power of God moved, not from, not from his natural talents or his abilities or his whatever, but from a supernatural release of the power of God working. That's what we're talking about in these spiritual gifts, ladies and gentlemen. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Scripture is clear that, that, that God can and or has given you certain spiritual gifts to be employed as he knows is best within the work of the kingdom. We'll finish up this list next week if, if, if the Lord allows, but can I just go ahead and say this to you right now? How has God gifted you? How are you being used within the body? Because even as we read and as we'll get to next week, this isn't really about your gifts, it's about the body. Doesn't that come clear in this text? Can a hand say to an eye, can an eye, can it, spiritual gifts, they, they, they are gifts from God. How are they being used? The body of Christ, as we learned in today's message, that's what spiritual gifts are really about. Each of us who know Christ have been given spiritual gifts to use for the good of the body, its health, unity, and ministry to each other. When the focus becomes the gift itself, and who has which particular gift, that's when the church has gotten off track. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, it's not about your spiritual gift, but about his spiritual body, the church. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. 
and join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of Cross Culture Worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.